Welcome to another episode of Latinos Who Thrive. This week, we have a very special guest, Raquel Bujorn. She is the past CEO and president of A-Status Construction, a wholly owned Latina company. Raquel's trajectory is very unconventional and you will be fascinated by her story and her philosophy to building a company that is now billing in the millions of dollars, and she's just getting started. Raquel is the new breed of Latinas that are disrupting the male-dominated industries. So let's get started. So Raquel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Raquel, you are a unique woman. You are a young Latina. Uh, Just out of curiosity, how young are you? (laughs) I am 35. Um, At age 35, you have built a school. You have mm-hmm. built a bridge, you have mm-hmm. built roads, yep. and you can even drive uh, machinery, uh, heavyweight machinery on demand. Tell us, how did you get started in the construction business? Well, I actually, I got started in 2009 whenever there was a uh, recession going on. So I started a company at a time in the current times that I'm seeing happening now, we have a lot of conversations about where the economy is going and such. I was starting at a time when a lot of companies were actually going out of business and closing their doors. And um, the reason why we started it is because my husband and I, who were dating at the time, were in the music business and we really needed steady income. And so my husband had a background in making cabinets in high school and finishing concrete. And so when we weren't touring the world singing music, we uh, we decided to go ahead and start the construction company just because of the one skill that he had. Now, three months into it, um, he actually got an offer with an oil and gas uh, company, and I went ahead and stuck with it. So um, it was one of those situations where it was a year after Hurricane Ike came and hit our city. And... Uh, we were in recession, housing markets crashing. I was driving around Houston and I noticed an apartment complex in the southeast side of Houston that still had tarps on their roofs. And um, I stopped in. I met with the manager there. She was an elderly woman who hated her job. And uh, she, uh, I asked her, why do you still have tarps on your roof? And she said, well, I can't get the money from the insurance to do the job. So I said, well, you're in luck. I can help you do that. I didn't have a clue at the time um, what in the world I was doing or anything about insurance. But what I did is the very next day, I went to adjuster's license school and I got an adjuster (laughs) certification so I could learn how to read insurance policies. I told her, I said, look, if I help you get this money from the insurance, I just want to make sure my company can do the job of fixing the roofs. And she said, okay. And it was in a really bad area. Like there's, um, you know, drug dealers and gangsters on the corners. And, uh, but the cool thing was, uh, was that it was an incredibly humble community. And a lot of the people that were living there were just trying to live paycheck to paycheck. And they were living with holes in the roof, you know, still rain when it would rain, rain would come in, you know, a lot of Latino families, even with, you know, their kids. And it was a really sad situation. So for me, it ended up being a big win. We did end up getting uh, the money from the insurance company. I went ahead and helped them file the claim, read through the policy, 
tried to figure out how much we could get, got the money to fix the roof, fixed the roof. And the cool thing in that process was I got to spend a lot of time with actually people within that community. We ended up getting protection. I didn't have one thing stolen off of my job site. So we were able to help um, a community at the same time we made good money. And so that to me was like, I was like hooked. I said, oh my God, what other business can we get into that we can actually help people and still make money? That's a win-win for me. And so it was a perfect, I think, enticing thing for me to be sold in it um, because I'm a people person. I'm incredibly extroverted and I definitely felt good about helping these people who had been living with a tarp on their roof for a year. So after that, we just kept knocking on doors and I became really incredibly passionate about it. We are one of the only Hispanic female general contractors. I've still yet to meet another one. I've been on the hunt because I'd like to see it more normalized. But um, yeah, I think, you know, women in general, we're, we're like, you know, we're mothers naturally. So taking care of a community and helping to be a part of building things is something that we're actually really naturally good at. And so we want to normalize that. Right. Raquel, do you feel that your skills that you learned in the music business uh, were transferable to this new venture? If so, what were the skills that you brought to the table? A hundred percent. Yes. Um, in the arts, it's a tough gig. Like, you know, people are literally surviving artists and, and it's, and it's something that you decide to do because it begins with a passion and a love for it. And then you give everything that you have uh, to translate it into something that can become a career monetary wise, but you have to hustle. You have to not be afraid of rejection. You have to do things that nobody has ever done before in order to become something unique and for people to you know, to get their attention. You can't be afraid of standing up to sing on the spot when you're asked to sing on the spot. You can't be afraid of talking to the press about what it is that you're working on or why did you decide to write this song or even performing. So construction is very similar in the music business in that in the music business, you show up to audition, you know, you talk about your resume, you sing a song, you perform, and then after you perform, you collect. And so it's kind of the same thing in construction where you have to show up, you audition, you do a tap dance, you go over your resume, you perform, and then you collect. So it definitely, for me, I think the, the idea of, hey, you're not good enough, or hey, you could improve this skill better so that you could get to the next level, that for me was like the best uh, <laughs> reality check that you could probably get getting into an industry that is male dominant and aggressive. And there's not very many people like me. Um, I took it like very easy when I was told, no, you can't do that. Or no, it hasn't been done. Cause I was like, eh, it's the same thing. Like, like music it's the same thing. Very similar. Raquel, what were the billings of your first year in business in construction? Do you remember? I think the first year we did probably, about a hundred thousand in revenue. And total. what was your second year in comparison? So every year, I want to say we've progressively grown about a hundred percent at yes. minimum. We've been on a huge, substantial growth rate. This year will be our year fourteen that I've been in the business. 
from uh, our largest year in 2019, prior to this merger with ND, we did over 25 million in billing. So we, we've come a long way from where we've started. Um, and we're really excited about where we're going. Yes. And that's phenomenal, the growth that you have had. I met you when you were uh, doing work for U of H. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, you were doing uh, some, uh, some concrete work for them, uh, mm -hmm. doing uh, parking lots and maybe parking garage. So that is phenomenal growth with someone that had no experience in the business. How in the world did you do it? 2020 hindsight. Yeah. So my advice to anybody uh, listening is that, of course, it's natural to go into something that you don't know with fear, but it's in those moments of adversity that you decide to still try to figure it out or learn or not be afraid of doing something you've never done before. So it's not necessarily like we say, be fearless. Of course, you still go in like having this anxiety, like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? But you still do it anyway. And that's what makes you a champion in it. So like, I was not afraid of making a mistake. I was not afraid of failing. I was not afraid of, um, or at least accepting that that's a possibility, right? Because I think that the best success in, in anything that you can do actually comes from a moment where you might have failed at it before. So I would be lying to you if I didn't say that there was moments where I did make mistakes. There was moments where I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Of course, like I didn't have anybody. I, I didn't come from generations of somebody teaching me how to do this. I don't come from a long line of builders. Like I just literally got on a machine and was like, I'm going to sit in here and push a bunch of buttons until I can figure out how to operate this. And it can't be any more different than doing an Xbox or a PlayStation game. But <laughs> what in the anyway. world were you operating? Were you it's operating like... a grader or you were, were yeah. you operating a, a so, backhoe? So like I wanted to start with the most common piece of equipment out in the field, which was a skid steer. So a skid steer is like a um, mini version of like a, a piece of machinery with a small bucket that you could lift things in. And so it's utilized a lot in grading. It's also utilized in moving dirt and moving equipment. Um, it's just a really common, probably one of the most user-friendly pieces of equipment. So, you know, you sit in there, you watch a YouTube video on how to do it, YouTube University, and then you just kind of follow the steps and then you start slow, you know, you don't go really fast. And then you, you, after practice, you get, it's like riding a bike, you learn how to do it. And then um, from there, I started learning on a mini excavator because an excavator is something that actually trenches and digs holes. And that's probably the second most common piece of equipment that would be utilized just in general construction and period. I mean, just period. Um, and then after that is a loader. And the loader is one of my favorites. So those big cat, uh, they're like the mega mother version of a skid steer where um, they're very powerful. They can lift a lot of weight, uh, but they're actually a lot of fun to, in my opinion, to drive. Um, so, I mean, I did it. I had to do it at the time. It wasn't, um, I'm a believer in like, I think if you were going to ask somebody else to do something, it'd kind of be good for you to at least try once. Uh, so you understand like the time that it takes to do something. Because in your mind, you may think, man, that must be really easy. But then when you actually get in to the machine, it's like, well, this is actually, this is the, that's why you have some better operators 
than others. It's just a natural gift. So, um, I mean, I could do the basics. I'm not an expert grader, but uh, anytime that we were short staffed, I, I have been out there doing it. So just to get the job or the time timeline done. So. How were you viewed by other workers or, or other contractors <laughs> on, on big projects? So, uh, yeah, I am, uh, I am a true girly woman fashionista. I love my hot pinks. Um, I show up to the site, of course, wearing my safety gear, but I'll have a full face of makeup. Um, and my hair will be done in my hard hat. Um, it's kind of like, what is going on? Of course, the people that work with our company already know. Uh, I get a lot of um, even inspectors that want to like take pictures with me on the site because they just can't believe it. Uh, I've had people be like, oh my God, what is the world coming to? And it's like, yes, this is, this should be the new normal. This is not uh, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a woman and being out in the field. And it's actually not um, like, I think there's like this, this background story of like, oh, construction is just all dirty and messy and it's not anything fun. It sounds really boring and it is hard work, but um, I naturally really like it. Like I like to do one of the shows I was obsessed with for so many years was like those flipper flop shows on HGTV. So I would take like pieces of furniture and renovate the furniture and just, you know, do little projects like that, which is still a part of construction. I mean, right. restoration. So naturally I always liked doing those things. And so it was just easy for me to get in there and I could be in the field for, I mean, literally they suck me back into the office because this is what I should be doing. But every now and then I like going back in the field. Raquel, who influenced your mindset to have this? I can do anything I set my mind to. My mom uh, was a survivor, a fighter, a winner. And growing up, she was, I was, she was a single mother of two girls. Um, my biological father was not involved at all. Uh, the first, I mean, at all. Uh, so I think seeing her work three jobs at one point uh, growing up from I remember being four years old, five years old, and just watching her, she would say, look, number one, I don't care what you decide to do, you're going to be the best at it. Number two, if you want to be successful in life, it's going to be hard work and expect that there's going to be days that you're going to cry, but at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. So watching her come out of her own struggle and become a distinguished, successful um, person just a good mom um, and sticking by because some people can choose in the in the moments where she could have chosen I quit I don't want to do this anymore I give up or I'm going to lean on somebody else to take care of it um, she actually chose to keep fighting through it and I think in seeing that and witnessing that it's like well the things that I've seen her go through I am like the things in construction that we have to fight through that's easy as a little girl, you dreamed of being a music uh, star. How far did you get in the business? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that started because um, the reason why music became my passion was because when I was about five years old, like I said, my mom was a single mom. It was just me her, and her. 
we had nothing. We lived in a, in a one bedroom apartment. We didn't even have furniture. All we had was a mattress and somebody had gifted us a radio with five cassette tapes. And one of them was a Selena cassette tape. And I listened to that tape every day. So there was nothing else besides like, you know, I had a couple of few, of course, like, you know, toys and maybe a couple books. Um, but I was a dreamer. I was always a dreamer. And, um, and so I wanted to be Selena. I was like, I want to be like her one day. Like she's, you know, she's made a lot of things possible that have never been done before in the Tejano industry and being the first woman to enter in and really take a moment and uh, who she became. And is still even now a powerful icon to our state and, and just, you know, her whole story is amazing and her strength. But, um, but in listening to that, I fortunately inherited a pretty decent voice. I did uh, star search when I was 11 in my middle school. We had to, I also became really good at meeting people that I'd never met before because I had to move schools probably yearly, sometimes by semester because we moved around a lot. Um, so I can't even tell you all of the schools I went to, but I'd say that my music career started at 11 and then I ended up going full-time professional when I was 16. I was invited to tour with AS Roma, the professional soccer team and do their Italian national anthem. I don't speak Italian, but I learned from an Italian nun how to sing the anthem. And then I would do the halftime show, uh, with my own music and a couple cover tunes. And um, I had the choice at that time. I was a like a 4.0 GPA student um, to either pursue this career and finish high school, still finish high school, like remote. I got a full diploma, but I was going to have to do it on my own or remain in high school and choose like, you know, the normal path that I thought I was going to do. But it was just one of those opportunities where my mom was like, you know, follow your dreams. I believe in you go after it. And it was one of those things that it taught me work ethic and all of the things that you could learn from the music business. But I was a paid professional. Um, I was featured in a music video that went all the way to MTV Tres. And uh, we were on the charts for a good amount of time. My husband was actually one of the members for Los Super Reyes, which is the, the brother group to the Cumbia Kings. Okay. So, so for me, that was really cool. So he toured all of Mexico. So Mexico has been... I guess one of those countries that's always been dear to my heart besides my heritage and culture. Um, naturally, that's why indie for me was like so cool. It was okay. really cool. So there was a lot of skill sets that you developed in the music business. Uh, I don't think you necessarily recommend this path for other Latinas. Would you <laughs> get into the music business and then go into construction uh, field? Yeah. So I probably have done over a hundred jobs. No lie. Like I was really searching for, I had been poor. I knew what it was like to be poor. And I knew growing up, I was never going to be poor again once I had the chance. So I never held just one job. Uh, but I knew that I had to find whatever my talent was and then capitalize on that. Whatever, everybody has a gift. Everybody has a separate gift. My gift has been about um, not being a, afraid to meet different people and putting teams together. Um, you know, that goes a lot in the music business and it goes a lot in construction. You have to know how to build the right team in order to like deliver a good product, no matter what industry that you're in. 
Because at so, the end of the day, you're in the people business, aren't you? Exactly. That's the people business. That's what it was. That's what the music business was. So that was my natural gift, uh, was being able to perform in front of people. Um, and so in all different kind of capacities, which I didn't realize until, you know, my early twenties that, you know, I was, I had, I was an accountant. I was a shipping clerk. I was a singer. I, uh, worked at a daycare. I, um, was a temp. I worked at a medical assistance office. I did credentialing. I did insurance. I did, I used to sell life insurance. So I was constantly searching for what was my passion and what could I make money on that I'm passionate about. But also it was really important to me to get into a business where I saw that there was a huge opportunity that we could utilize a niche to be able to capitalize on because I knew that I wanted to just be really successful at it. So infrastructure and construction is an industry. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that only a small amount of players have been in for so many years. So it's, it's a really difficult circle to enter into. Um, and it's something that we've been working on for over 14 years to do. And I feel like we're finally getting to a place after all of the dues that we've had to pay to be treated as an equal at, at the table. What have been some of the biggest challenges you faced? So, because it's not normal to see a woman in general in construction, and then especially a Latina woman <laughs> to show up to the table. Majority of the time, like when we were awarded the parking garage at the University of Houston, true story, it's $52 million job. There was 25 people at the kickoff meeting. I was the only woman in that meeting out of all 25 people who get to plan and decide and how this thing's going to get built. And it was at the very end of the meeting. They all thought I was the secretary and the architect of the firm, uh, you know, was like, so what is it that you do? And because uh, you I just caught you're the owner of the construction company. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, I do nothing. I just show up, look good and collect a good check. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what kind of question is that? Like, you know, I do exactly what all the other uh, CEOs of construction companies do. There's a lot that goes into that. It's kind of an open ended question. Um, so that's kind of been the challenge is just normalizing that, you know, I have the skill set, our company has the resume, our company has the experience, just like everyone else. It's just at the head of it, the face is a little different. And as simple as that may sound, it still comes to a shock in 2022 that this is happening and that this is possible. Um, because most people, you know, you start at the bottom, you work out in the field. And so I did that. Um, and I got laughed at. I did. And I mean, I can't say that I didn't get pushed back. I, I got I've been told even two weeks ago, like, hey, you should hire a man to be, you know, the the machismo man and the, the face you know, of the company. Yeah, the yes. face, because you'll get more, you know, sway and you'll get more people to do what they you, what you want them to do if you do that. And I'm like, but that just that that's not what we represent. That's not what we're trying to that doesn't, I don't understand that. Like I was, it's 2022. I just don't understand that. 50% of the population is women. We should have more of a stake and more of a presence. We can be out in the field and we can be the head of large companies and we deserve a stake in this multi-billion dollar company. Oil and gas is number, has always been number one for Houston. Well, guess what? Oil and gas is not doing really well right now. Infrastructure and construction is kicking butt. And there's a lot of opportunity for people to make a lot of money. And we should be a part of that. How has being a woman in the construction field uh, given you an advantage? So 
at, at this point, I'm starting to vocalize more in that, you know, there's goals that need to be met at some of these entities. So like the city of Houston, the port of Houston, Metro, all these public sector entities set a goal between 33 and 35% for women and minority and small business participation. So there is an advantage that if you are a woman, you can possibly get, you know, percentage of this multi-billion dollar sector just by being that. Um, but that's actually still not the case. It's so a monopoly in a lot of ways, it, isn't it? It is, it is because, because it's, it's kind of been like the same old uh, good old boys that have always gotten the contracts and they go to the same companies that they've used for the last 20 years. You know, we are newer in the market, uh, you know, because there's been companies that have been in existence for over 100 years, 150 years, right. you know, we're new. There's not Hispanic companies that have been in existence in construction right. for over 100 years. There's not women companies. So, so it's about convincing them. And we are through our resume by just showing up and performing. If you show up and you perform and you do the work, then there's only so many times that somebody can tell you reasons as to why you don't deserve to get the work. So that's what we keep doing is just doing the work. And then eventually we're recognized for it. So that's your background. You are listening to Latinos Who Thrive with our special guest, Raquel Bujorn from Indy Partners Group. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by ETC, Escalante Training and Consulting. Do you need more sales and greater productivity? For more than two decades, Victor Escalante has been training executives and companies in cultural communications, team building processes, sales competency, emotional intelligence, and project management. Find out how ETC is ready to help you by visiting their website at victorescalante.com. And now we return you to our interview with Raquel Bujorn. Now let's get back to the present, okay? Because (laughs) (laughs) I was at your signing ceremony where you merge with Indie Group from Mexico to one of the largest construction companies in Latin America. And you are going now to be the partner of North America. Talk to us about that. It's so exciting and so refreshing. So Grupo Indy is the largest privately owned general contractor in all of Mexico. Um, They've been around for 45 years. They are actually second generation. Now it's a brother sister team. So we maintain 70% ownership of Latina. We still have 70% Latina owned company. Um, And we're very proud of that. And their values and their culture really aligned with my values and my culture. Um, They've completed billions of dollars worth of construction. They've built every major port in the country for the last decade. Um, They've been invited many times to participate in the United States, but they never ever for, and they've been looking for eight years. They've never found the right partner, the right person to be the face, the right company that aligned with their culture and their values. And so, because I get the question most recently of why did they choose why did they choose a status? Why did it become indie? Um, long, long story and short is just. And just for I, listeners' uh, information, a status was the former company that Raquel was uh, owner of. So yes. A plus merged with Indie of Mexico. Okay, yes. so continue. Yes. So 
Yes, A Status was that company in 2009 I established. I was a sole owner. Um, and then we went ahead and merged with Indy to become a much larger company. So what happened there was it increased our capacity by a lot, <laughs> by a lot. So now we, whereas before when I was just, it was just little me, of course, with my family and, you know, my company as a whole, we said in 2019, we did 25 million in revenue. I think by partnering with Indy, we have the possibility of becoming, you know, a, a billion dollar company in our trajectory over the next five years. It could happen very quickly and, and very easily just because of the resources, the background, the technical experience. Um, their, their resume is impeccable and how they perform is just to a whole other standard. And I'm really proud to be a part of now the Indy brand. And I really carry that with pride. Um, even more so because we're all Latino and they're from Mexico and we're all of the sense of that. And, um, and I think it's a really proud moment for the Latino community. And I think it's a really proud moment for, for Hispanic women and women Absolutely. in general. Yeah. Absolutely. So how long did the vetting process take for Indy to vet uh, your company? Yeah. So it's a really intense process. Um, it took around six months almost seven months uh, to finally get to a final decision. Um, so there's a lot of, it's almost like, you know, when you do a merger, it's like you start dating and then you kind of, you know, you get engaged and then you work through a prenuptial agreement and then you get married. And that's exactly what the process is. So you think of it like, you know, you go on your first date, you meet each other, you just kind of learn and we were not soliciting to be a part of a merger and they weren't even soliciting to, to purchase anything or anybody or partner with anyone. They were really looking for a joint venture opportunity and maybe doing a project together. And it kind of evolved from, oh my God, I think together we can become one of the largest companies in the United States like we are in Mexico by joining ventures. And, um, and so it was, a, it was an intense process, uh, but it was worth it at the end of the day. I think from the very first conversation, the way you start things is the way you finish them. And from day one and meeting with the partners, we were all on the same page about what each of us wanted. And both of us won. Both of us won at the end of it. We got what we wanted. They got what they wanted. And now we're like, we're like in this happy marriage right now. And I think Houston <laughs> also won because uh, you're going to do uh, great things. You're also a philanthropist uh, because you're going to be contributing some of your revenues uh, to the Houston Latinas Women's Network. Tell us about that. Yes. So my mother, Elaine Gracia, is the vice chair for that uh, organization. Uh, we've always been advocates for women and Latina women and helping women in general just be able to progress. So I, on, on my own, along with others in my company, we've We've done our own mentor protege program where we've helped other businesses actually grow into what we call a bankable business. Um, and so we've seen companies through to become million dollar businesses. And now we're, uh, last year we participated in a high school program where we helped um, some kids that wanted to get into construction. We did a internship with them and then they transferred into a permanent position with us. And now we're participating with this organization to help other Latinas who want to, you know, either get into business or maybe learn about construction. And we're um, donating, I believe, a $500 scholarship to one of the recipients um, next month. We're getting a proclamation from the city of Houston on 
June 14th. But my goal is that we want to continuously work with this organization to help encourage uh, Latinas to learn about infrastructure and construction and about all the different things in development as well, um, different sectors that they can get involved in and learn about now because the sooner that you get started, especially at a young age and understanding the concepts and, and getting that kind of education, then, you know, 15 years from that point, you can become, you can become bulletproof. So that's what we want to do. Raquel, you're a mother. Yes. You're a wife. Yes. You're a CEO. Yes. How many hours do you spend working a day? Oh, work never turns off. So the, I, I originally wanted four children in my life. I always thought I was going to have a big family, but actually I birthed my company first. So my companies are like a part of my children. <laughs> uh, I own several companies. Envy Construction Partners is the largest, but uh, I've always been very entrepreneurial. My kids are my everything. My, my office is, is literally located very close to where they go to school, where I live, just so I could be in close reach to them. My whole family works with me. Um, but work never turns off. Um, that's one thing when we go on vacation, you know, I, I answer the phone and some people get mistaken on turn the work phone off, you know, don't, don't pick it up. You just need to relax. But for me, it's like my passion, it's my love. And if I don't answer it, I won't enjoy my vacation. So it's, it's not so much, a an obligation of how many hours I put in, I do it because I want to build like the strongest team. And there's so many people that rely on this company and I know where it could go and how it can also make other people really wealthy and successful. And so that to me is what I want to see through. I don't know if I'll ever not have a 60 to 80 hour work week, but literally, I mean, I don't sleep at night, sometimes waking up, just thinking about the things that I'm going to do the next day and excitement. Um, You're very passionate. What is it about the construction industry that you find alluring and attractive? So real estate in general is something that we hear all the time. Like, you know, it's so important. Land isn't growing anymore. Uh, and the people that decide how it's being planned and how it's being built, it's one of those industries that is needed forever and ever and ever. You know, even in, we talk about wars and you talk about, you know, recessions and you talk about things getting old and need, needing to be rebuilt. That's why companies in construction have existed for over hundreds of years and generations to generations because it's one of those those things that will forever be needed. So it's a huge sector um, that's that needs more people. We need more people to to enter into it and and not be so greedy with just you know keeping it more the same. And we need more Latinos at that level. Not yeah. at the not at the entry level construction yeah. workers, but at the executive level, at yeah. the CEO level that's negotiating contracts. Yes, yes, because the more power and power and people are like, oh, don't say that. But it's true. Money is power. The yes. people that make the decisions in this city and in this nation are the ones that have the highest bottom line. And the reason why that is, is because you you're able to employ more in a community. You're able to decide how buildings and neighborhoods and communities are being built, which affect the population, the general population. So it's, it's, it's really important at the construction level. It doesn't just stop at just building, but then it starts to translate into the development side. And so we do a lot in development as well in the planning. 
and design build and construction management and, and coming to the table with in discussion of how things should be built in our communities. And that's really important that Latinos get more of a say in how that's being done because we're the ones building them. We're the ones living in them. Correct. We should be more at the table with deciding on who's getting the jobs. How is this being, you know, if 70% of Houston is Latino, but, you know, you have an infrastructure population and less than, less than I think 2% is on the executive level for women. And I think less than, it's got to be less than 15% is actually a Latino executive wife. Then why is it so unbalanced? How can yes. we correct this? Because when you go out into a construction site, who's the one doing the work? It's the Latinos. It's the Latinos. Yeah. So then if they're the ones that know how to do the work, typically what it is, is you start out as a sub of a sub. We need to get uh, our people to, to learn, okay, how do we become a bankable business? Because as I started as a sub of a sub, we would hire other people too and contractors, small groups. Like it could be a group of 10 guys of Latinos that like they will be out there for 16 hours just in the sun, beating down on them and work so hard. But then when it comes time for them to get paid, what do they do? They hand you a notebook with a handwritten invoice and say, okay, you owe me $100,000. And I go, oh my God, this is how you've been doing your invoices. No, 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 no. Marisa, who's my sister, who's the CFO, I said, okay, no, no, no. We're going to give them a legit template. We're going to give them a template so that this is what they're going to be using for everybody that they ever do business with. Because we have to get them, it's more than just getting them certified with the city. It's, it's teaching them, this is what you need in order to become a bankable business. Bankable, Explain to our listeners what a bankable business is. So a bankable business means that you actually have a set of financials that an institution or a bonding company can actually evaluate and they, they rate you based off of how much you can take on in capacity and revenue year over year. And if you do the job, like many of these guys do the job, rev, uh, you know, they might do $2 million in revenue, but they're not a bankable business because they don't have the proper financials or they didn't do the proper lien waivers or they didn't do the proper invoicing. And so they miss their opportunity to become a certified firm and they miss their opportunity to be evaluated by a, a bonding company so that they can actually go direct in public sector projects because there's so many requirements to do work for the government. So it's, it's a two-year process. I feel really proud that we've actually helped many companies that have worked with us get to become a bankable business. And now one of them actually is doing over $10 million in revenue from 2009, whenever I gave him his first opportunity. That's amazing. At, at, at $25,000. And he's a Latino. He's a Hispanic male contractor. And he did nothing but asphalt. And now he's doing asphalt and paving and he's doing it direct as a prime. So sometimes I'll even see him show up. He's my competition now. <laughs> so, and that's what we want. And that's yes. what we want because, because when you build that kind of network, whenever it comes to decisions in the city on a hundred million dollar projects or $1 billion projects, you want that network to say, Hey, I remember them. They were there for us. We're going to advocate for them. We want to talk to our decision makers about giving them an opportunity. Maybe they haven't been the first ever, but let's give them a shot. Raquel, uh, what advice would you give to the younger you, say, of uh, starting out right out of high school? What advice would you give? Them? I would say never give up, never give up. And, and I think that's, I actually, I'm a big believer in affirmations in the morning. I Actually, if I was if I was 18 or 16 again, and I look back at it, I wouldn't even believe where how far I could have come back then. So I would be like, just don't give up, keep believing, keep believing. 
the hard work's going to pay off. Um, but I think it was just the trusting in that my faith, very faithful um, and self-belief and just never giving up. In the morning, I would speak to myself in the mirror about being this very successful person that I am today. But I was already convinced, like I was already talking like as if it was the present. Right. You know, I am successful. Yes. I am a millionaire. I am loved. I am chosen. I still do that with my bids. I am going to win. I am going to win today. Um, Did you ever read the book or listen to any of uh, Dr. Shad Hemsutter? He's the father no, of positive I affirmations. Yeah, I did not. I did not. I didn't know anything about, I didn't even know what I was doing naturally until getting <laughs> educated about it last year. It wow. just was one of those things that I was always a dreamer and I just believed like I was going to come out of this and I, no matter what I was going to, I mean, I was, even now I would do it all over again and I would put everything up and lose it all if I knew that it was going to change the world and impact this company in a much larger way. So what advice would you give to other young Latinas listening to you? Yeah, don't be afraid of failure. Um, you will fail, but that's okay. Don't be afraid of failing because if you fail, that means you at least tried. And, and so you got to get back up and keep trying. You got to get back up in the morning and keep doing because it's those moments in my life. And I think in anybody's life, when we look back, it's like everybody sees the success, but I wish that I would have recorded more those moments where I was just crying in my office because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Or I was told, you know, by somebody in the field or by a real senior person, you're not worth anything. You can't do this. And you come over here and you have your little pity party. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, you said that. And then you have to tell yourself, hey, get a grip. You know, you're stronger than that. You're better than that. You could be more than that. No matter where you come from, no matter what background you come from, no matter you being poor, black, Latino, woman, you, it's your choice. You can choose to be successful. And it may be, you may be in a more difficult situation right now where, you have more hurdles than somebody else who maybe has inherited it. But the point is, is like, be prepared that you will make mistakes. But as long as you keep back up, you keep getting back up and you keep fighting through it, you keep pushing through those moments of adversity, there will be success at the end of the story. Raquel, no what, the, yeah. Nobody you, can tell me I can fail. Nobody. Because yeah. I will win. I will uh, win. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not going to bet against you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raquel, yeah. do you have any regrets? Absolutely not. No, no. Uh, everything that um, has happened in my life has been for a purpose. Uh, well, at the moment, you might have felt, I may have felt like, you know, oh, I regret doing that. I didn't really understand it until six months later as how it was a part of God's plan. So it was like, oh, that's why that had to happen. Or that's why that decision was made. Um, yeah, but you no. changed one element and mm -hmm. you changed the whole trajectory. Right. Had you gotten that one contract that you didn't get, it right. would have completely sent you in a different pathway. Had yes. you not failed, you would not have tried and learned the lesson necessary for the bigger contract. Mm -hmm. There's no. always something to be learned. I tell people no matter what, like no matter what industry you're in, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. 
And so things that we think that we pray for that don't happen, it's because there's a bigger purpose. And the more that you believe it, the more you speak it to the universe, the more that you're ready to accept it. Because a lot of people are there, they're there, they're blessed, they can receive additional blessings, but they're fearful of receiving that blessing because of the success, or maybe because they were, they were programmed to believe that they're not deserving, or they, they don't qualify, or they're not good enough. And so the minute that you change that in your mind, and you're like, you know what, no, I am, I can, I will, don't tell me that I'm not, then all of a sudden, that's power. Because no matter how many times that you fall on your face, as long as you keep getting up, you're like, I'm still here. I'm a winner. I'm going to do it. We're going to be the biggest. Then all of a sudden, it's like people start buying into it. It's like, oh, man, she's really serious about this. She's not going anywhere. And no matter how many times I tell her no or she sucks, she's still going to show up until she gets a chance. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's the whole point. And whatever anybody listening is, is like whether it's construction or being a teacher or an actor or a singer, you know, that's the key to the real success is like, be prepared for the rejection, be prepared for the failure, but that's okay. As long as you are convinced, like I am famous, I am, it will happen. Raquel, do you take uh, speaking requests to speak to uh, groups uh, or organizations of Latinos? Yeah, a hundred percent. I've spoken at a couple of events. Um, I need to do it more. I, the thing about a success story is, is that you have to actually do the work before you can actually talk about the success. Yes. <laughs> um, so I feel like now I, I'm proud to be able to give some wisdom and some advice in my, from my own journey. Um, yeah. And I just want to keep encouraging, especially, you know, young girls that, you know, you could do it. Anything is possible. You could do in any kind of male industry, right? I, I, I'm really good. One of my mentors, Cindy Eckert, she is a founder of Addy, which is the female version of Viagra. Okay. Pharmaceutical is a male dominant industry. Yes. Same thing. Um, she is the only woman CEO um, in that sector. And she's a really powerful person. And I like to model um, myself in decisions. Like if I need advice, I call her and I ask her, but there's not that many mentors out there to help girls with guidance. And so in any way that I can give any kind of positive advice on any kind of situation, we're mentoring right now, actually a Latina um, general contractor. She just started two years ago. Uh, the name of her company is G GCS. Um, and she has moved mountains this last two years. And she has my number. I normally take on a couple of people like her, any kind of situation where she's like, hey, I had a client who called me and said, ABC, what do you think I should do? And I give her my professional experience and advice on how to handle that. And it's been, it's proven for her to be very successful. So that is awesome, Raquel. Yeah. I want to highlight people like her. Like I want to talk about her and I want to show, I want her company to do millions on the books so that she can then pass that on to somebody else and somebody else. Cause that's how you change. Raquel, think. any final last words for our listeners? Um, no, I'm just really grateful that you had me. I appreciate you wanting to learn more about it, uh, our company. And um, June 7th, of, uh, we are actually doing an event at Yolanda Black Navarro Middle School for the eighth grade graduating class. 
Um, anybody that wants to participate in that, reach out to me. RB. We'll put your information in the show notes. Um, That graduating class, uh, most Latinos uh, are, they they don't fully graduate high school, specifically first-generation immigrants. Um, Eighth grade is a really pivotal moment for our kids uh, because they transition from a time in their life where now they're almost old enough to start going into the workforce. Of course, money is always of concern for these families. So that's the age when uh, children see that the world is not democratic, that uh, there's the haves and there's the have nots. And fortunately, a lot of uh, uh, children of color end up giving up. Yes. Uh, Or they end up having to go get a job and not focus on you know, school correct uh, to help support the family. Yes, and so uh, Yolanda Black Navarro, you know, they 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 need as much support as they can get. Um, I believe they're ninety percent Latino, uh, and I was asked to just help celebrate. They lost HIC, lost a lot of their funding this year, as we know, and so typically they would do some kind of celebration for their graduation, um, and we're going to do something for them. So our office is planning something. Graduations at ten ten in the morning. I'm not sure if we're going to host a breakfast before anybody else that wants to get involved, please get involved. And then of course, June 14th is our proclamation day with the city of Houston. And so we're going to see some publication coming out about about that, for which we're incredibly proud of. Are you going to hold a press conference at that event? Yes. 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 And of course I want you to come. Of course I'll be there. I want you to be involved. Um, you were the, the guy that we called and trusted to do our, <laughs> our closing. So yes. you have to be, it's cool because you'll see like the journey as it continues, right? So. Yes, I didn't know that you had this uh, trajectory in the music business. Now I know the whole story. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can actually sing. I can sing. I, I used to do it four times a week and they paid me. So, you know, I had to be good. It comes as no surprise. (laughs) Raquel, we really enjoyed uh, having you as a guest and we look forward to your continued success. Thank you, Victor.